You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 67. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the 10th Doctor story, David Tennant, uh, New Earth. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So we're talking about New Earth. This is the second uh, story from the second season of The New Who and the second David Tennant story. (laughs) Lots of seconds here. Um, It features Rose as the companion, of course. And we get a little bit of Mickey and Jackie in the beginning, but um, it's basically a saying goodbye. Um, And to refresh everyone's memory... Uh, in the distant future, in order of cat nuns, because, you know, mm-hmm. cat nuns. Okay, Why we'll not? Get, we'll get to that. They cure all illnesses uh, in their uh, beautiful hospital on New Earth, but uh, the doctor is suspicious of their methods, as he should be. And so uh, he has to uncover the truth. And meanwhile, Rose has an unfortunate encounter with Lady Cassandra, uh, and hilarity ensues. So, so with that, uh, maybe we should listen to the sound of the trailer and then get into our discussion. So where are we going? Further than we've ever gone before. This is New Earth. Human. She's pure blood human. Underneath this hospital, I've been listening. The sisters are hiding something. Cassandra, let me go! It said he'll talk to a wanderer. To the man without a home. One of the patients is conscious. We can't have that. Who needs arms when we have claws? Give her back to me. Whatever you do, don't touch! Oh, my God. What the hell have you done? Save us. Save us. Save us. Save us. It's a story of the, uh, the modern health system. (laughs) <laughs> it's actually, I think well, it's actually kind of intended to be an allegory for our uh, our modern health system. Well, and they, they yeah, even threw right. a dig in as they're walking into the hospital. This doesn't look like an NHS. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, we're we're on uh, New Earth uh, in at in New New York. Um, the second time we've, well, not the second. Uh, we say we'll see this again in a, in another uh, episode coming mm-hmm. up. This particular yeah. place. Um, but it's the year 5 billion 23, 23. because yeah. the year 5 billion, we were on platform one, which was the second episode of the first season with the destruction of earth. Uh, and that's where we first and, saw. And this is really a kind of, in a way, a parallel thematically to that episode, because mm-hmm. it was the first time the ninth doctor and Rose went somewhere. They went to the year 5 billion and in the episode, the end of the world. And, the, and we met, Lady Cassandra O'Brien and the face of Bo there. And then now in this episode, we've got the new 10th Doctor. And the first place he takes her resonates with that initial episode. We saw the destruction of the old Earth. So now we're going to New Earth 
further than we've ever been before, exactly 23 years further. So it's <laughs> five, five billion 23 on new earth. And lo and behold, we're going to the same time period. So we meet the face of Bo again. We meet Lady Cassandra O'Brien again. And this sort of recapitulates elements of the end of the world in a new key for the new doctor. And so it's using that prior episode as a kind of reference point. I still don't like this. It's five, we're five billion years in the future. So, which is pretty much as long as, you know, our solar system has been around. And I know they did this in the first in platform one so that they could show the death of the planet. But the fact mm -hmm. is, is five billion years Humanity would change a lot more than what oh, they yeah. show us. I mean, it would, would yeah, be exactly. unrecognizable. And, and Not so, just cat people. Right, right. Well, and that's the question. Are the cat people evolved humans, evolved they, cats, they, they, or an alien species? Yeah, they make it sound like they're an alien species, at least in my opinion. But That's kind of what I got. But – yeah, so I mean, that would, so that was a, that's a little bit of the, uh, but that's a Doctor Who problem as opposed to a a problem with this particular show. Um, what I found interesting right off the bat um, that re the relationship between Rose and the Doctor here has changed a lot from the Ninth Doctor, from the Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. Right off the bat, they're much more flirty uh, and chummy. Uh, could, do you think that was a well, conscious decision, the the whole fat Pope, thin Pope thing that we talked about before? Oh, totally. Um, I mean, they they were definitely going away from the kind of crusty, edgy Tom Baker to the Peter Davidson good boyfriend model here. And yep. and so, yeah, that was a totally conscious decision. So um, one of the things. And besides who, I mean. Chris Freckleson wasn't exactly the cuddliest guy. <laughs> he so. <wasn't>. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Um, so one of the things I so psychic paper is a new who invention, right? Yes. yes. Okay. So although what, it's it's we, been retconned by a big finish now, but yes, it's a new who invention. It was we first see it in the new series, the new TV shows. So um, so we see it used in a different way here that I don't think we ever see again, which is no, we uh, do. Oh, we do. Okay, I didn't remember it. So we have like words appear on it that the doctor sees. Uh, Ward, this is the first time. Him. This is the first time we later see River Song do the same thing to bring the doctor to the library. Oh, right, right. Okay, yes, yes. Okay. Um, so they and and we assume it's the face of Bo that calls him, right? You're right. Do we know why the face of Bo was? Calling the doctor here because, like, the initial assumption is is the face of Bo is going to die. A cumbersome thing. Yeah, is going to die and needs to pass on information. It turns out that was just a, a a ruse to get the doctor there. Was was he calling him there to fix the problem that the doctor fixes? That would be the logical inference given the shape of the story now. However, that's not the original reason. The original reason is the face of Bo was going to die in this episode and pass on his secret. And so he did, in the original version, bring the doctor there to pass on the secret. But um, when uh, a script book for the for the first season came out, edited by Stephen Moffat, uh, Russell T. Davies read it and saw Stephen Moffat saying, Russell T. Davies loves to create characters that are interesting just to kill them. And he said, 
I'm not going to kill the face of Bo in this episode. I'm going to bring him again. So, <laughs> so it got stretched out. In your face, Moffat, is what Russell yeah. T. Davies said. <laughs> in your face of Bo. <laughs> oh. So uh, speaking of the face of Bo, I mean, again, something that gets retconned into the story is this idea, never explicitly said, but sort of broadly hinted at, is that the it's face of really, Bo yeah. is, it turns out to be the immortal Captain Jack. Eventually, yeah. he sort of evolves somehow into this giant face in a jar. And that's, they, they hint at that. So, I mean, they don't say it out loud explicitly, but they yeah. hint at that so strongly right. that, that it's a, it's a cop out or a weasel mm-hmm. to say that it's not. So yeah. I, that's Captain Jack. And, they, and it, later and, on, and, it, and it is made explicit. It is yeah, made explicit yeah. eventually. It, I mean, to where they said, I mean, not just the I was the face of Boshan province moment, but but more than that. They make it more explicit than that. I thought, I thought that was the point where the, anyways. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, that's the they're winking so hard at the camera at that point that I think they sprained something. Yeah. Uh, but and it's yeah. nice to see it's nice to see Captain Jack finally get past the whole sexuality thing. <laughs> OK, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, so we have the so we have the face of Bo. He calls the doctor. Um, I, I like the fact when they walk into the the, 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 hosp- the lobby, the doctor says, I don't like hospitals. They give me the creeps. Which is kind of funny, given the eighth doctor was killed in one. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> I, I wonder if that was explicit or are they just kind of throwing that in there. I kind of hope it was an explicit reference. Uh, yep. Yeah. Also, I like we we have the doctor's first reference to "I love a little shop" because <laughs> that's going to come back too. That comes back, for example, in Silence <laughs> in the Library. Right, right, right. The doctors get obsessed with a with little with the little shop in the uh, in in places. Um, so in addition to the face of Bo coming back, we all, as we said, we, we see the lady Cassandra, who's this human, the last human, supposedly purebred, a purebred human, I guess is it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, who exists as, uh, a sheet of skin on a frame with a brain in a jar. And, and it's funny seeing that the skin on the frame, I actually saw a video last week of how they made uh, medieval parchment. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what it looks like, which yeah, must which must be it out on a frame. Yeah, yeah, it must be what the uh, the, the the prop designer the the or the uh, not prop but uh, the CGI guys were thinking when they when they came up with that because um, because uh, it was really creepy. I like how the different blood vessels will pulse in the yep. in in the membrane. <laughs> yes. And, by the way, speaking of hospitals, before we move on from that, Rose has a great question when they arrive. It's like, if it's the year five billion, why haven't they cured everything? And the doctor says, well, humanity has moved on. Viruses have moved on, too. And that's actually um, good evolutionary science, because um, the ecosystem, every element of an ecosystem evolves and viruses and microorganisms want to survive, too. And right. so they do develop over time. And it's been compared uh, to the Red Queen's race in Alice in Wonderland, Alice Through the Looking Glass, where the Red Queen constantly runs just to keep in place. And our immune system has been compared to that because as our immune systems improve, so do the viruses they're fighting. And so we're kind of running to just stay in the same place. And right. and so this is a 
this is a scientifically reasonable thing on Doctor Who for once. And to, the, the <laughs> trick is to evolve uh, faster than the than the uh, viruses evolve and not not let get left behind. Uh, so um, Lady Cassandra hatches this plan very very quickly um, to steal Rose's body, um, and uh, she, she gets her down into the basement where uh, her Igor Cassandra's Igor. Uh, is there to, uh, to, to to kind of maneuver Rose into this brain thing? Igor uh, has a much nicer name here, though. Chip. Chip. That's right. It's Chip. <laughs> um, which is uh, great fun because my friend Father Chip Hines. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. We also have the Gollum reference to him here, which was nice. Yes, I yes. had to look at. I had to think for a second. Yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings came out before this, uh, the movie. So that was that was good. Um, and then she transfers in and then Lady Cassandra looks at uh, Rose in the mirror, looks at herself in the mirror and says, I'm a chav. Um, yeah. Which I think we've talked about before. Like, what is a chav? And I guess it yeah. just means. A chav is a low is it's it's a derogatory slang term for a lower class, lower class British person who's kind of a poser. Yeah. Who, like wears real or imitation designer clothes. And there's some funny moments here. I think, like, uh, first I'm going to say, Billy Piper does a pretty good job of switching between Lady Cassandra and Rose um, yes. in, in this. So uh, it's, it's pretty good. And, and the switches happen pretty quickly at, at, at a couple points. And so it's... Well, it's, she changes a, a tone of her voice and everything. It's not like just, you know, the language she uses changes, but actually the way she speaks and the yeah. pitch she speaks yeah. at changes in the process, yes. too. I, I, I love the way that she when she's in control of Rose, she turns to Chip and she because she needs to talk to the doctor and says, what's her accent? And and uh, Chip says Old Earth Cockney. And so she has this Cockney accent, but it's not quite right. And she's using old fashioned Cockney rhyming slang, which Rose doesn't do. Uh, so, so, you know, she says, I'll take the apples and pears when she means I'm going to take the stairs and she, and, and hearing about the face of Bo, she talks about him as a boat race, which is slang for face. And she says, I just can't Adam and Eve it, meaning believe it. And so she's using this rhyming slang that it used to be in fashion. I know back in the 1970s, rhyming slang was in fashion. But now in the same subculture, it's not as prominent. Okay, that's fine. That's good. I, I thanks for the explanation because I, I didn't catch that. I didn't know why I, why she was doing that. Uh, it seems it seems odd, but that's that's a good good insight. Yeah, uh, you should also, share that with your five dustbin lids, kids. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, I also thought it was kind of funny how they wrote in the script like Cassandra appreciating uh, all of. You know, to Billy Piper's self for her body, like yeah. that whole like. I just was thinking how awkward that would have to be acting that out. Like, oh, look at that! Oh, I like that part of me. Like, that would be really weird. But uh, it's it, like being in a bouncy castle. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's uh, acting is weird. Let's put it. Let's just leave it. Leave it like that. Um, so Cassandra is. It turns out she's not just there to simply steal Rose's body, but she's trying to figure out the nun's secret, the cat nuns. Like, how are they healing all these people? Because I think she's looking for some way to to be healed of, of her condition, whatever it is, um, it, to, to live on. Because that's Cassandra's primary Man. goal is to live forever, apparently. And be beautiful. And be beautiful, right. Um, 
one of the things that was, is interesting about this, especially from our perspective, is that the hospital is run by an order of nuns, cat nuns. And, we, and that's that's historically true to British culture. Nuns, um, but not typically cats. not cats. <laughs> but yeah, none. Uh, so religious orders, women, religious orders would uh, commonly one of the in addition to like being teachers in schools, they'd also be nuns in hospitals and they'd run hospitals. That's why so many hospitals are like St. George's hospitals or mm-hmm. our savior hospital or something. It's because of the religious orders that founded them. And in some places like England, the association between nuns and nurses is so tight that they actually just normally refer to us to a nurse as sister. And in fact, in some dialects of English and other languages, the word for for nurse is just sister. That came up in our discussion of the Big Finish audio uh, story we did. Uh, spare parts, spare yeah. parts. Yep. So yeah, with the fifth doctor, and there was a this character co- they called Sister, who was a medical person, Sister uh, Man. Yep, Sister Man. Yeah, Sister Man. Yeah, it's like Cyberman, Sister Man. Um, so, um, so the the, the the interesting thing is, is I I think this we contrast nuns and um, we think of them as being uh, peaceful, innocent, caring, especially nurses. Uh, helpful, and then we—the idea in this story is that contrast with the monstrous thing they are doing to the people in these pods that we discover. Yeah, so there's a question here, you know, coming at this from a faith perspective: of is this some kind of anti-religious statement? Um, and I don't know that it is. I mean, you can't—you can read it that way. But given that it's in there in British culture. It's not just nuns, it's nurses also. Nurses are also a caring, you know, figure, a caring image that's also being subverted here. And and you could read this not as an anti-religious thing, but more as like anxieties about the British healthcare system or about healthcare in general, or just more generally about wholesome things that are supposed to help us that end up not being so wholesome or helpful. Well, and it can also, I, you know, I really kind of saw it of, you know, despite the, you know, the good intentions, the harm that they're really doing by creating these, these living beings, these apparently sentient beings, or at least they're sentient until they're found out and then destroyed. Um, but, the, you know, that despite, you know, almost, you know, it was almost an argument of the ends don't justify the means. Yeah. Now, do you just, I mean, Father, yeah, you've just gone to the central moral crisis of this episode this is the biggest from a faith perspective or just a philosophical perspective this is the big enchilada well that's 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 kind of what i felt that the the episode was more about was just making that point yeah the um so today like when we grow vaccines like flu vaccines it's we need some growth medium for them and typically today although this may be changing typically today we use eggs so you take an you take a bunch of eggs, you inject them with with the seed of the of the vaccine, and it grows. It uses the egg as a growth medium, and that's what they're doing with these people. They have these clones essentially, mm-hmm. and that they've created in a lab, and they're keeping them in. An, they're not allowing them to develop normally. They're keeping them in these pods. They're not supposed to be conscious, and they're infusing them with all of these futuristic diseases so that they will grow the antibodies and whatever that other people need 
to uh, be cured of these diseases. And so they're making them plague, they're infecting them with plagues as a way of curing plagues, the same way we infect eggs to, to create a, a, vir a vaccine. And their justification for this is something we actually hear a lot today in biomedical circles. Um, they say it doesn't matter that they're doing this to these people because they have no, they're not real people, they're specially grown, they have no real existence. And that's exactly what we hear in a bunch of circles where labs are creating human embryos. And they'll say, oh, it just doesn't matter, even though biologically it is a human being. They'll say, oh, it's not a real person, it's specially grown, it doesn't have a real existence, we're not allowing it to develop normally. And the doctor realizes, no, these are real people. Mm -hmm. And um, coming at this from not just a faith perspective, but just a philosophical perspective, human embryos are humans. Biologically, yeah. they're living human organisms. The embryos of every species are just that species at an early stage. Mm -hmm. And we have the exact same monstrosity philosophically, morally happening in our culture. And it's actually refreshing to see it presented so straightforwardly right. in a science fiction episode like this. Well, it was interesting, too, because there was that conversation as, as the two, two sisters are sitting there talking about the one that became sentient or they became aware that it was sentient. And they even had the whole conversation about, oh, yes, you should read the paper by Sister So-and-so who, who talks about the transference of sentience. Mm -hmm. You know, like they're, they're completely aware that these, these things are becoming sentient. They were created to be just, you know, basically Petri dishes, but they're becoming sentient and more and more and more. And so they incinerate the guy, and that yep. exactly parallels things today where you have, okay, we created a bunch of human embryos, but don't worry, we're not going to allow them to develop. We're going to kill them all before they develop. We'll, we'll, let, it, we'll let them develop, you know, 100 cells or something like that. We'll do what we need to do and then kill them. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a common thing I see in a lot of um, science fiction that deals with clones or manufactured people or that sort of thing, is they assume that the objection of Christians – um, and others who have a similar moral mindset is that we would think that these are not real people that they need to be that, you know, that like if, if they were ever to have clones that our response would be to destroy them. The no. new, the new Netflix series, uh, altered carbon. I don't know if you've seen it, any of it. Um, it involves people, uh, creating bodies and transferring consciousness from one body to the next. And the Christians, they think that you know it's evil, and the people that they're transferred to are not real people, and therefore they should be destroyed. They're abominations, and I'm like, no, like no, no, we it, would it, it, the exact it, opposite it, of what we would it, say. It, it, it right. is evil because what about the person whose body you're stealing? It, right. Well, yes, exactly. Um, for that, yeah, and then uh, it was it was a similar thing, like in um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's movie Eighth Day, where you had again people creating these clones and the Christians were the ones who wanted to kill them. And it's interesting here that the nuns are depicted as being callous toward these, these people. These are re like, you know, just to, to lay it on the line, when you cre create a new person and they grow, you know, they're alive from the moment of conception for, as Christians, yeah. these are people and we treat them as people. It's not the Christians who would be ca who are callous to them. Um, and right. it's, it's sort of this, it, in some ways, that well, that's how this episode sort of upends the expectation. Well, it, it's it's you know it's the question of if you could clone, 
would there be, you know, would that clone have a soul? If so, where, you yes. know, how would yeah. it develop? You know, and we, we would say it would because we believe that the soul is the animating force of the body. Right. You know, right. You know, and, you know, the same thing of can a soul tr travel down a transporter beam? You know, because you're disintegrating the body and recreating it. Does the soul travel down the transporter? Beam? Oh, you mean the uh, mass like murder device? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, so we don't want to get too far off on that. No, I know. I'm just, they, but I'm just saying, though, the idea they of, give on Star Trek, they give conflicting evidence about that. Yeah. Yes. But I mean, it's it's you know, it's that that question of this is a living being. It has that that animating presence it's, of a right. soul. You yeah. know, why would Christians want to destroy it? They would they would do the exact opposite. They would person, say that it needs to be yeah. protected and defended. Yeah. You cannot create people for your own medical consumables or for your own convenience or things like that. They have to be respected as creatures with intrinsic dignity. Yep. Then it, then something else is presented here, which is um, I forget. Who said, I think it, I think uh, Cassandra says it. If they live because of this, then life is worthless. Like this idea that. um. Meaning, if the if the regular patients yes. live, they're empirically feeding on these other people, right? Um, and then, then life. I think actually the doctor says that, um, mm -hmm. and it sort of calls to mind that, that another philosophical question of uh, you know when the Nazis did medical experiments on the uh, the Jews and others who were in the concentration camps, um, the fruits of those experiments that might have made their way into medical treatment. Is it therefore licit to use those medical treatments to treat people? You know that idea is it's poisoned fruit. It's the it's it's right. that you can't you, you can't use evil you know means to to justify good ends. And I think that's what the doctor's trying to say here. He doesn't say it well though. It's not true that life isn't worth living just because someone has done something bad. Right. It's yeah. It's it's. It, it's he's I think he's trying to get at a, a true statement, but trying to be uh, the writer. I forget who the uh, the writer of this. They're trying to be pithy and end up kind of messing it up a little bit. I think. Um, yeah. Russell a little T. Too Davies. Much pith. Yeah, <laughs> Russell T. Davies wrote this one. Um, and like we talked about before, um, Cassandra bounces around inside of people from the do Rose to the Doctor back to Rose, but then she goes into one of the flesh. And one that's of the, one of the one of the virus people. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I'm yep. sorry. Yeah, the cat nuts keep calling them the flesh, uh, which is a very dehumanizing uh, term. Exactly. And that's a, a a moment of revelation for Cassandra. Yeah, because she experiences the consciousness of one of these victimized people and realizes just how victimized they've been, and suddenly she starts to develop a sense of compassion. Right. And it's sort of that idea that we, I think we, when we can see things through the eyes of another, and literally in, in this case, we, we, we begin to empathize. We begin to realize when we understand the condition of someone else, uh, when you understand what their life is like, what they're living through, um, and she begins to develop a sense of empathy um, to the point where by the end of this, of this episode, she's willing to give her life. To, to save mm -hmm. everyone. Um, and in fact, I, I, I like this, though, the way they kind of close the loop. She ends up in uh, Chip, who's dying. Voluntarily. He, Vol he gives himself up voluntarily. Yep. and uh, Which he shouldn't, but he, at least he's not being taken over against his will. Right. He Yes. He, he's uh, obsessed or 
devoted. He worships her. He worships yeah. her. Right. Um, and the doctor takes Chip slash Cassandra back in time to this moment, this party, when Cassandra had said, this was the last time someone ever told me I was beautiful. And it was before she was a human trampoline, when she was just a regular human and she was right. beautiful. Right. And it's the actual actress who uh, does yep. the voice, which was kind of you funny. You can see, to see it in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and and we have this in, this. It was kind of a nice moment. I felt like it was it was a kind of a nice moment um, that the person who told her she was beautiful, the the last person to tell her she was beautiful was herself. In other words, yeah. I think it, it, that idea that a lot of Lady Cassandra's issues were self hatred, and it kind of yeah. goes to the human condition today. A lot of People, a lot of, I mean, and I think it might be prevalent among women who don't like themselves, don't like the way they look, and it's sort of a self hatred, and they just have to learn to love who they are as they are. And I think yeah, that's what, kind of what we're saying here. What I liked about it was, uh, I liked that, but what I liked about it even more was that, so at this point, future Cassandra is in the body of Chip, who's this kind of queer, a little off-putting looking guy. I mean, she says at one point, I'm in a, I forget what she says, but it's like, I'm in a doodle or right. something like yeah. that. Right. And, um, and so Chip, future Cassandra in Chip comes up to past Cassandra in her beautiful human form and is telling her how beautiful she is. And past Cassandra initially is very dismissive. It's like, oh, that's nice. Go away. Um, which you would expect, given what Chip looks like. He's not as elegant as she and all of her friends are. And then when Chip keels over in the process of dying, immediately Cassandra, past Cassandra, grabs him and is like trying to comfort him and summon help for him and crying out and telling him it's going to be okay. And she's having compassion for her future self without even realizing it but the and that's kind of meta and neat but the the neat the even better thing is she, from her perspective from the perspective of past cassandra she's having compassion for a total stranger right. and having trying to help somebody who initially she found kind of small and off-putting and wanted to get rid of but when that person's in trouble she has that compassion within her and it kind of calls back to her mm -hmm. compassion for the flesh that we saw earlier in this episode. So even though Cassandra can be a very vain, um, stuck up person, she does at her root have compassion, even right. for people she would find off putting inside well, of her. And it was interesting too, because you, as she's kneeling there with chip slash Cassandra, everybody else is leaving. Mm -hmm. You right. see all the legs of yeah. all the men that's around her that were admiring her and how wonderful she is and what a great storyteller she is and everything. And as she's calling out for help, they're just fading away. No one comes yeah. to help. <clears throat> right. Um, so ultimately, it's redemptive for Cassandra. Right. Yes. You know, you know it's, it's interesting. Going, going back to what you, you mentioned about, you know, that, that encounter where she was told she was beautiful and, you know, and, and it's like, no, I mean it. You really are beautiful. In it, that that self hatred, and I, you know, we do see it so much today. Either you know the women who um, are constantly having this plastic surgeries and the changes and the lifts and the cuts and everything which else, is, which, which is what Cassandra is a parody of. Yeah. She's plastic yeah. surgery taken to an extreme. But yeah. there's also the opposite side of that. There's the the taking the self hatred and showing it where people the piercings and the tattoos and the holes and 
the cut, the things they do there, the cutting, things like that, where it's like the exact opposite of that. Right. So I was almost like, I hate myself. I'm ugly. So I'm going to make myself as ugly as I possibly can. Not right. that we're saying all piercings and tattoos are that. I mean, women have had ears pierced Again, for a long time and men have understand had the disclaimer, understand the disclaimer. But, you know, the, the type of person I'm talking about, the person that's covered head to toe in piercings and tattoos, the, the and extreme holes in the ear lobes and things like that. Yeah. The, extremes. The, the extremes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and we're not saying all plastic surgery is bad. Certainly there's therapeutic plastic surgery and, and other kinds. Yeah. But it's when and, it's the people taking them, taking their, their dislike for themselves to the extreme mm -hmm. in uh, in extreme physical changes. And, you know, sometimes it's it's also uh, bulimia and anorexia and, and yeah. other things like that or extreme dieting that's, or extreme eating and gluttony. Yeah. But that's the key. It's the extreme. It's just wanting right. to look nice and doing reasonable things to achieve that, whether it's makeup or diet or exercise yeah. or whatever it may be. There's nothing wrong with wanting to look nice. It's the extreme that's the issue. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, now, the doctor says something to Cassandra before, right before the end um, He that it was very it seemed out of character for the rest of the episode where he basically tells her. You've lived long enough, like telling her, like, to get out of Rose. I don't care if there's no place for you to go. You've lived long enough. It's time for you to die. And that that seems so it seems. How is that not killing? I mean, it, it well, seems it's contradictory. It's not, it's not because she's uh, she's um, illicitly inhabiting Rose. Mm -hmm. And 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 thus, if she's reached the end of her natural life because her brain has died. And she can't go back to her original brain. So she her her life naturally has come to an end and she's prolonging it at the expense of another. And so it's reasonable to say, stop this new transgression, because what she's doing is the transgression. He's simply saying, stop this transgression. Now, that will result in her death, but that's not the goal or the means. It's a foreseen side effect. And so philosophically, the law of double effect applies. You can, you can tolerate an evil effect as long as it's not the goal or the means to achieving a goal as long as it's a pure side effect. And that's what Cassandra's death here would be. We're not getting her out of Rose's body to kill her or or as a means of kill, or we're not killing her as a means of getting her out of Rose's body. We're just saying, stop this transgression. And yes, she will die as a result, but that's a foreseen side effect, not a goal or a means. Okay. All right. That makes more sense then. And it puts it back more in character with the rest of the message of this story uh, about preserving life. Uh, and yeah. respecting it. Um, <clears throat> so, is there anything else uh, you got, you you all want to say about this episode? Uh, you know, how, what did you think of it overall? It was is it a good one? Uh, is it is it mediocre? I don't get the sense that any of us think it was a bad episode. No, it wasn't bad. I, one thing I do want to kind of comment is the CGI really did not stand up to the years. Um, there was a lot of weakness in that, in my opinion. But that's that's kind of a neither here nor there. I thought it was a I thought it was a good episode. I mean, it, it there were, you know, weaknesses kind of we talked about a little bit, but I thought it, you know, it, it, it dealt with some very interesting moral topics, again, like we just discussed. And I think that, that you know, it, it, if it makes you think a little bit when you watch the episode about these issues, that's a good episode in its own. I liked it. I thought it was a nice episode. Um, I thought it was more fun than uh, The End of the World. Um 
I I liked New New York, the city so nice they named it more than twice. Um, (laughs) I liked little touches. Like at one point, Rose says, what's that smell? And other planets will smell different. And the doctor says it's apple grass. And so, you know, that's a neat little touch. It's a creative thing. Um, There on the, uh, on the level of wordplay, there's some interesting stuff. There's a kind of, I forget the term for this, but there's a term for where you're heading towards a curse word and you suddenly veer off into something completely different. <laughs> not not a pinched oath where you say, you know, dang instead of yep. the big D, but where you veer off into something completely different. We Especially, get that a couple of times. Yeah. Yep. Um, the uh, At one point, uh, Cassandra is about to refer to Rose using a B word, mm-hmm. and suddenly we cut to Rose saying a bit. Yes. And, and and then uh later uh, we have the reverse rose is about to describe cassandra saying she's talking out of her and then cassandra says ask not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um also on the wordplay level we mentioned some some things that we will have callbacks for later on, like the psychic using the psychic paper to get the doctor somewhere. We also have his, one of the catchphrases of David Tennant used for the first time in this episode. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Yes. Um, that's uh, that's neat to see for the first time. Obviously, watching this for the first time, you wouldn't realize that's going to be significant later on. Um, I liked the uh, by the way, the uh, cat nuns are not Christian. They just look Christian. The Sisters of Plenitude actually worship the goddess Santori, who we otherwise don't know anything about. Right. Um, I liked the Duke of Manhattan and his assistant. I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, right. Any expre- any expression of friendship by the Duke of Manhattan is not a legally binding contract. Um, <laughs> Still got lawyers in the uh, five billion uh, year five billion twenty three. That's for sure. Yep. Yeah. And then finally, the uh, the message that the face of Bo has for the doctor, we don't learn it here, but rather than leave people hanging, we will learn it in the episode Gridlock down the line. And the message is, you are not alone. Mm. That's right. And and not in the way we, we expect. Uh, yep. We'll see that uh, bear fruit later. All right. Well, um <clears throat> Well, from my point of view, I like it. I think it's a, it, we've had a strong start to the beginning of the uh, 10th Doctor uh, era. Um, Christmas Invasion was good. It wasn't great. We, we talked about that. Um, didn't this have enough. Better. Yep, this was better. Yep. Didn't have enough of the Doctor in Christmas Invasion. Now we get a full Doctor episode. David Tennant fully inhabits the, the role. Really, mm-hmm. he's like going back and watching this. You don't. You, you. You. It's easy to forget. This was his second outing as a doctor. He's already, you know, who he will be throughout the course of his tenure, and uh, and it's great. Uh, so, I think David Tennant had one of the the best beginnings as the doctor uh, of anyone. Um, mm-hmm. I so I enjoy this. Uh, like you said, a lot of a lot of uh, funny moments, light. Um, in you know, not not too heavy. Um. But it, it doesn't. It also doesn't, you know, rank as as a as a great episode for me. Just it's just one of the one of the ones. Um, so not not bad. And then they follow this up with which we'll we'll get to the next time we talk about a new Who story, uh, Tooth and Claw, which is coming up, uh, which I think is another good episode. Yeah, um, that's one I enjoy. And uh, that will that will be good. Queen Victoria is is great in that. 
Um, so a good start to the David Tennant era of uh, Doctor Who. So uh, that's it from us. Um, what did you think of of the of New Earth? Uh, let us know by visiting us at sqpn.com and leaving a comment on our show notes or go to the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, leave us some feedback there, or send us an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. You can always send us a voice recording. Uh, we'll play that uh, on, the, on, the, on the show, and that would be a lot of fun. We'd like to hear your voices, uh, too. You can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on our show notes at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second Doctor story, Power of the Daleks. Uh, until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Always a pleasure. And thank you, Dom. You're welcome. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, never trust a nun, never trust a nurse, and never trust a cat. Two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.